Hello, friends. Welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Paul White. Today is the 29th day of February, final day of the second month of the year here in Leap Year. And the final day of the month means it's time for the Deeper Daily Podcast Essay Edition. We write the essay based upon wherever we are in the journey through the Gospels. We're currently heading into the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. If you'd like to read the essay edition, it's available at paulwhiteministries.com. And so now, here it is, the essay edition for February 29th, 2024. Our essay for February 2024 finds us at the beginning of Luke 10. I remind you that the New Testament writers did not break their letters into chapters and verses. This was done by translators to make for easier reading and for memorization purposes. Luke has just given a trilogy of encounters between would-be disciples and Jesus. In each case, the recruit decides against following Jesus because the cost is simply too high. Essentially, Jesus invites them, and us for that matter, to follow him into the way of death where nothing else matters. This concludes chapter 9. Luke then shifts to a story unique to his gospel the sending out of the 70 disciples. Now, before the breakdown and the interpretation, let's deal with a little point of order. While Luke is the only writer that tells of the sending of the 70, the other synoptics contain similar instructions to the 12 disciples. The sending out of disciples was part of the process in the mentor-mentee relationship of that day. They went ahead and prepared the way, both logistically and spiritually, They prepared towns and villages for the formal arrival of their leader. Well, the sending is not unusual, but the wording in the Greek is a little at odds. The Greek manuscripts are divided between 70 and 72 as the number sent out, and there's no way of being sure which is original. Both represent the number of the nations of the world, as listed in Genesis 10. And numerology was important in Hebrew culture. How can both be representative of the number? Well, remember that we have a Hebrew version of the Old Testament and a Greek version. The Hebrew has the nations of the world listed in Genesis 10 as 70, while the Greek version has 72. Well, perhaps the transcribers of Luke's 10th chapter use both to represent fullness, meaning that Jesus sends out a number reflective of the world at large, a preview of sorts of how the gospel will eventually go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, Jesus sent them two by two, meaning he sent them in pairs. He did the same with the 12 disciples in Mark 6. This not only ensured that each person had the support of a friend and a partner, but it also fulfilled the Torah mandate that there be two or three witnesses before a case was solved. The sending of disciples was Such a big deal that Jesus wants it reflective of the judicial system of Torah. With pairs, it'd be harder to falsely accuse a disciple or to isolate and eliminate them. The buddy system of evangelism was important to Jesus to the point that he also surrounded himself with disciples, as Mark said, those whom he wanted. And we should consider this when we evangelize the world around us. Of course, we often share our faith one-on-one, as we should, but ministry as a calling cannot be handled alone. The church is a body, 
And the accountability of the body is a necessary part of our call and our discipleship. When Jesus sends out the 70 or the 72, he tells them in verse 2, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The laborers were few because of the demands of discipleship that Jesus has been emphasizing in his previous sermons and encounters. No one wants to labor in the field if it means leaving home for good or not burying their father or being unsure where they'll lay their head. We must read these instructions considering the previous conversations to understand why this is happening. And to top it off, he then adds in verse 3, Go your way, behold, I send you as lambs among wolves. Well, who in their right mind would sign up for this? A lamb among wolves is a lost lamb, and he's most certainly going to be dinner for a wolf. Jesus doesn't hide it, mask it, or clean it up. His commission comes with no guarantees other than the guarantee that someone's going to make you their enemy. These verses remind me that we've slipped awfully far from the original model when we present the gospel with the tagline, come to Jesus and he'll make your life better. Now, while abundant life is precisely what we find in Jesus, the idea that the day-to-day will be improved by the metrics of the world is foolish. Following Jesus is the way of the life of God, and the way of the life of God is to lay down his life. Jesus reinforces these early instructions with some details, none of which are very inspirational. Verse 4, Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. Robert Capon sums this up darkly. He sends them out with no more of the trappings of personal status than a corpse has when it's being shipped home for burial. Wow. (laughs) On top of this sacrificial discipleship, Jesus goes on in the next verses to tell them that when they're finally invited into someone's home, they're to wish it peace and stay there. They eat whatever's served, drink whatever is offered, and don't hop from house to house. In other words, have no preferences, make no waves, and surrender your own tastes and desires. Talk about a negative recruitment poster. In verse 9, they're finally given the two things that they're to do on their missionary journeys, heal the sick and proclaim that the kingdom has come. Well, neither of these bring glory to the disciples, and they don't even get to vent their anger at their rejection. I mean, think about it. They only have the power and authority to heal because Jesus gave it to them as a grace gift. They didn't earn it, so they can't improve upon it. They can't traffic in it. For all they know, it came upon them and could easily go away. And also, their message is one of proclamation, not invitation. They aren't making new disciples. They're simply given the good news that the king has arrived in all his glory. They don't get to warn people about their sinful ways or pronounce divine judgment. All the fun stuff is gone. They heal and they proclaim, and none of it belongs to them. And even when they're rejected, which verse 10 tells them they will be, they aren't allowed to call down fire from heaven. Remember, James and John want to call down fire from heaven in chapter 9, which prompts this entire discussion. Instead, they simply wipe the dust from their feet and proclaim that the kingdom has visited them. 
Not much in the way of glory and honor being guaranteed to the faithful. This is a call to discipleship unlike anything we've ever known. Now, Jesus does declare woe on the places that reject the kingdom, but that's his pronouncement, not the disciples. They're given no instruction to do this in the places that reject them. Perhaps an indication that we simply proclaim good news and leave the woes to Jesus. Finally, the 70 return, a skip that Luke makes to bring the story full circle. We don't follow them into the cities to see if they did it the way they were told, partly because the Gospels are about Jesus, not the disciples, and partly because following them is not the point of the story. We learn that when they return, they're so excited that the demons were subject to us in your name. And Jesus responds in so many words, Yes, I give you authority over snakes and scorpions and all kinds of powers, but no matter how excited you are by this, don't forget that this is not what following me is all about. It's not what you can do or the power that you have, but about the kingdom of God. What a humbling response by Jesus. Imagine the joy these 70 have in watching God work through them only to have Jesus throw so much cold water on their excitement by reminding them that they're excited about the wrong things. Well, I think it has to do with the fact that it's, it's easy to get enamored of power and authority, which is precisely the kind of thing that impresses even non-disciples of Christ. The rejoicing of the 70 is the rejoicing that we're called into away from the power and authority of prestige, even when those things are godly, and into the joy that comes from knowing we're part of the kingdom of God. Well, if this seems obscure or even difficult, then consider Jesus' next prayer, verses 21 to 24, part of which says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. The wisdom of the world is not going to be able to comprehend such things. It's a good way of saying that if these instructions of discipleship seem odd or impossible, maybe that is because we think more like the world than we do the disciples of Christ. So we end the way Jesus did, with a blessing and some good news. In private, away from the crowds, Jesus told his disciples, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. And as we open our eyes to the truths of following Jesus, we step into the only blessing that matters, the one pronounced upon us by Jesus. And we're not asked to follow Jesus because he's looking to make our lives miserable. We're invited to follow Jesus because only in a revelation of who he is can we truly begin to live, even if that life looks different than those lived around us. So let's follow him, not looking for power or authority, but ever rejoicing because our eyes are open to the kingdom and its possibilities. And great is our reward. Grace to you.